0: pump um, with this. It's an idea of being a God delegate. Being a God delegate. And I want you to keep that word in your mind, keep that phrase in your mind. If you uh, are taking notes, you can write that down at the top of your notes. There's going to be some, some things on the screen that you might want to write down as well. But, but I want to talk about being a, a God delegate, someone sent to represent God. But before we do that, we need to kind of set the stage for our talk. I don't know if you know this, but, but the church that we're experiencing right now, the church that we're a part of, is, is a product of something that started nearly 2,000 years ago. Not quite, but nearly 2,000 years ago, the church was started. And, and we get to experience the benefits of this church we get to participate in this church that has existed for for nearly 2,000 years now. So we don't realize, and maybe we even take for granted, that we might not have existed had it not been for one seemingly insignificant character. Andrew. How many of you have done a deep study on Andrew? Peter's brother, Andrew. Yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, most of us, including myself until this week, we have not really dug into Andrew. We don't know a lot about Andrew. There's actually a fair amount we can know about Andrew, including this coming Tuesday is his day in the church year. That's when you celebrate the Feast of Andrew. So, so November 30th is the Feast of Andrew. If you want to celebrate the Feast of Andrew this, this uh, Tuesday, you can do that. But he's a seemingly insignificant character, But if it had not been for him, something may not have happened. I'm taking a a leap because I know God would have built his church no matter what, but just go with me for a little bit. Just kind of go down this path with me. Andrew. See, we know Peter. Everyone knows Peter. We talk about Peter all the time. Everyone is very familiar with Peter, right? He is the one that had to be rebuked by Jesus for having his own agenda, Peter is the guy that cut off Malchus's ear in the garden, right? We know that Peter. Uh, he tried to keep children away from Jesus. Um, he takes his eye uh, off of Jesus in the water and starts to sink, right? But he was the guy that actually walked on the water. That's Peter. We know, we know who Peter is. He was arguing to be the greatest disciple with John, right? So they were arguing back and forth James and John. They were arguing who was the greatest, He's one of the the ones that's, at least the one that's mentioned, that resisted having Jesus wash his feet that night that Jesus was betrayed, and he was the one that was ashamed to be with Jesus and betrayed him when Jesus needed him the most. We know Peter. But before any of that, before all of the Peter story, there's this guy named Andrew, And if Andrew hadn't met Jesus and spent the day with him, the evening with him, maybe even the night with him, we may not have known Peter because it was Andrew who first believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, I want to talk to you about this phrase that I came up with this week. I don't know if it's it's not a perfect phrase, but I hope it sticks with us. Um, it, It goes like this. There is no if in belief, but there is a lie. There is no if in belief. I know there's an I and an F, but they're right next to each other, so it's not really an if. Just like in team, there's a me, but it's not really a me. So, so there is no if in belief, but there is a lie. What do I mean by that? Well, the world, the world has believed the lies of the evil one. We use the word belief and the church to talk about believing in Jesus, but that does not mean that's the only way the word is ever used in our world. Our, our, our world uses this word all the time to talk about their beliefs, that I, I just don't believe that. They, I, 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 believe, I just believe something different than you, and that doesn't make me wrong. That doesn't make me a bad person. I just, I just believe differently than you, and you, you shouldn't judge me because... Of my beliefs, right? That's, that's how we hear the word used. And so there's no if in belief, but there is a lie. And the church has also believed a few lies as well. I don't know if you know this, but the world around us is very, very lost. The world around us is one of the most lost parts of the country. We live in a culture that does not support our faith. In fact, it routinely opposes it. I want to show you an example of this this week. Um, I was on Facebook. I think it was Tuesday night, maybe Tuesday. I think it was Tuesday, and uh, I don't know if you've seen the story. anyone's seen the story about John Chow? So John, he's actually he went to school with my cousin, and I didn't know this until afterwards, but. I was just kind of scrolling mindlessly through Facebook as we often do. Most of the time we, we waste our precious brain spells going and thumbing through Facebook day after day. But John here was, was a Christian who may have been trying to convert tr- a tribe on an island. And when he went there, he was actually killed with bows and arrows. And I, you know, so, the, so the, the, the title kind of captured me and you can't really see it. But down in the bottom left-hand corner, the emoji is what really struck me. Because the first one you expect, you expect the sad emoji. But the second two you don't really expect, at least I didn't really expect. The second one is the laughing emoji, the second most popular emoji that people were clicking on in this story was the laughing and the third was the like. Now, I know a lot of people don't know how to use the like and all the different options, so maybe just, they were just liking it because they saw the story. Who knows? But, but that, that kind of drew me in. I wanted to see what was going on in the story. And so uh, I, I went in and I clicked and I started seeing some comments here. Uh, you want to introduce us to Jesus here? Let us introduce him to you. Okay, so that one's kind of harsh. Um, Why didn't Jesus protect him? Must have been one of those mysterious working ways. You know, God works in mysterious ways, and God didn't protect him. So that must have been what was going on. And then, so someone agreed with me that this seemed a little bit bit harsh, a little bit cold to be doing this. And they said, laughing emoji, shame on you, someone was murdered. They said, thankfully, they got him before he was able to spread disease to him. The simple flu that we can handle would wipe out their entire existence. It's ignorant to want to push outdated beliefs on people who don't want to hear them. He wasn't murdered. He was executed for invasion. Stay in your lane. Yeah, and he could have murdered their whole tribe because of Jesus. This is more akin to suicide than murder. He knew what he was walking into. And this drew me in. We all have the same God, no matter what anyone calls him. I'm sorry he's dead, but for future reference, quit trying to get cultures to change the name of God just because it's in a different language. I'd, I'd kill him too for trying to convert me. Christians need to mind their own blank business. It was pretty arrogant of that guy. Stop selling and pushing your religion. You're not a pimp or a blank drug dealer. You don't need to force your imaginary friends on others. Keep that to yourself. And so I kind of felt bad for this kid that I didn't know. And I immediately thought of his parents, who were probably at some point would have seen this post because if your son died and made the news, you'd probably read the post too. And I actually asked permission before I did this so that I wouldn't be putting the church in in any kind of jeopardy without having asked permission to do it. But I felt like somebody needed to support this kid. And even though I didn't know him, although I found out we're connected to him through one of Becky's cousins... I decided I wanted, to, I wanted to say something knowing that I was putting myself in the lion's den and I was going to be receiving quite a few comments. And this was the only comment I made. I didn't argue, I didn't debate, I didn't do any of that trolling stuff. But I just said, I'm a Christian pastor in Vancouver, thinking about his family, reading the comments on this post, and wanted to say, I admire the courage he showed in taking such a risk to share his faith with this remote group. And the responses that I got, the first one was actually quite funny. I laughed when I read this one. Can we set up a GoFundMe to send you next? That was clever. I mean, that was a really clever response and I, I actually laughed and I thought about responding to it and trying to come up with a smart-aleck way to do it, but I didn't do that. But, but that was the soft, kind of the soft start to the responses. Um, there's some more along this theme of GoFundMe. Don't GoFundMe. They take it too large a cut. You know, there's other fun sites. Please visit this island. David, you go next. Uh, you go next. Maybe they'll barbecue you too. That was a fun one uh, as well. And then I said courage. You know, it takes courage. And they said courage? He made contact with a Mro tribe that's legally protected from this sort of nonsense. He not only encountered and survived an attack on his first visit, he decided to visit again. The next day, he wasn't uh, courageous. He was criminally ignorant. He had it coming. coming. His attempt to spread religion would have killed all those people. Don't mistake courage for stupidity. He was an idiot, and he got what he deserved. Spread your religion to people. Uh, Spread your religion to people that have made it very clear they don't want to be messed with. You should expect to get killed. Misguided, uneducated, harmful. Religion shouldn't be spread through solicitation. Courage or feeling self-righteous? What's to admire? He treated those, those people like less than garbage. He risked wiping out their entire tribe for his personal issues. It's disgusting. Let's go on to the next one. Can someone grab me a set of batteries real quick? No, 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 no. Those people were just fine without being bothered by him. He forced his need to try and indoctrinate them into his way of thinking and believing. And guess what? They gave him a very clear and definitive answer. Keep your faith to yourself. Are you serious? He he could potentially wipe out their entire tribe with his germs. Not courage. Stupidity selfishness, and self-righteousness. And this last screen just kind of encapsulates some of the, thank you, some of the same thoughts. This one, I, that one I really particularly appreciated because this guy who was saying it probably wouldn't have existed had it not been for those of us, our predecessors who came to the Americas. The one I shared, keep your faith to yourself, and that one right there in the middle, Posh, Terrell, whoever that is, the eye-rolling emoji. The reason I wanted to kind of share this with you is because it encapsulates, I think, the attitude of our society, of our culture that we live in, and their thoughts towards who we are as Christians, I, th- I think it really encapsulates the, the, the attitude. Now, not everyone is like this. These are probably some of the worst of the worst who, who say things like this. But, but it at least kind of gets us in the ballpark of what people think in our world. We live in a culture that doesn't support our faith. In fact, it, rut- it routinely opposes it. I also wanted to share this so that you know that I know what it's like. What, what we're being called to do is not necessarily an easy thing to do. What we've been called to do and taking the faith into some of the darkest places around us is not necessarily an easy task, and in our society it's probably going to be just more difficult as time goes by. But if we think that that gives us an excuse, a way out of it, then we have believed a lie. Even though we live in a world saturated with false beliefs that people have put their hope and belief in anything but God, even though our secular culture is corrosive and it's eating away at our faith, and the primary corrosive agent that they use is if, if, what if, what if God doesn't exist? What if the Bible isn't true? What if Jesus wasn't really the Messiah? If, if, if. And if none of that's true, or it might not be true, or even if part of it's not true, well, we better not try to bring anyone else into our own if. Because if I'm not even sure that I believe, then I don't have any business bringing someone else into it. And if it's not by way of doubt, by way of if, then it's by way of embracing the culture of the unbelieving world, which has waged war against our souls, which we're going to talk about in just a minute. There is no if in belief, but there is a lie. And the lie is that anyone can believe whatever they want. In the end, it's all a wash. That, in fact, is not true. Our world would tell us that all that matters is that you're a good person and that you don't cram your religion down someone else's throat. There were more comments, by the way. Some of them were too nasty to share. You can go look them up on KGW's Facebook page if you'd like to see. But the unfortunate thing is not just that our world has believed a lie. Though you can believe whatever you want, and in the end, as long as you're a good person, it doesn't matter. But what's sad is that that we, the church, have believed a lie that the culture has told us that that we need to keep our our religion, keep your faith to yourself. Don't try to cram it down to anyone's throat. You know, don't 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 force your beliefs on anyone the lie that our only choice is to circle the wagons and try to go unnoticed and hopefully not draw any attention to ourselves so there is a lie in fact there are a lot of lies i think we've believed john chapter 1 verse 35 Let's kind of turn a corner into a more positive note. John chapter 1:35. I want to kind of bring this all to, to a point here and look at Andrew and make a point. And all, the, all this hopefully will start to come together as we move on. John chapter 1:35. The next day, John the Baptist was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God and when the two disciples heard him say this they followed Jesus so two of John the Baptist's disciples heard John the Baptist say look the lamb of God and they decided to stop following John the Baptist and followed John the uh, or Jesus and turning around Jesus saw them following and asked what do you want they said rabbi which means teacher where are you staying come he replied and you will see so they went and saw where he was staying and They spent that day with him, and it was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the ones who had heard what John had said and had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. Verse 42, and... He brought him to Jesus. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter, which means little rock. It's very interesting when you dig into Simon Peter, the one that we know as Peter and his brother Andrew. First of all, Simon, his name was Aramaic. So it came from, from the, the roots, the, the Hebrew roots that he had been living in, and his name means to listen, to hear, and obey. And it's and it stems from this word in Deuteronomy chapter 6 where it says, hear. O Israel, to listen, to hear, and obey. So when when God said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, that was listen, hear, and obey when he said that word hear. So that's where Simon's name comes from. But then Andrew, Andrew's name is Greek. It's not Aramaic, it's Greek, because the Greek culture had infiltrated the Hebrew culture, the Israel culture. And so his parents named their... Probably firstborn son, Simon, in, in an Aramaic name, and then named Andrew, a Greek name, which, by the way, his name means manly. Are there any Andrews here? That's too bad. We need some, we need some manly, some manlies here. But uh, but Andrew, his name, his Greek name, just means man, manly. But it's a name that represented the mixed Jewish Gentile world of that day. where where the worlds had mixed, they had come together, the Jewish world and the Gentile worlds had had come together and started to mesh and started to bring aspects into one another, and and, uh, Andrew was one of those. It's very interesting. Andrew brought Peter to Jesus, Andrew's the one that did that. Andrew did a lot of bringing, and that's the, kind of the major emphasis of his life, where, where he's the one that brought the kid with the five loaves and two small fish that ended up feeding the 5,000. He and Philip brought the Greeks to Jesus, where Jesus taught in uh, John chapter 12 that, that unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, there remains a single seed. So Jesus talking about himself. So, so Andrew and Philip were ones that brought the Greeks not the Jewish people, but the Greeks, and to hear that message. So so Andrew brought, Andrew was somebody that brought people to Jesus. And yes, the church is built on people, uh, Peter just like Jesus said it would be, but Andrew is the one that brought Peter to Jesus. Andrew is the one that brought Peter to Jesus, that started Peter's story, Peter's journey with jesus and so this insignificant character this character that we just kind of read over every time we're reading through the gospels this andrew guy that all he really did was bring his brother to jesus and it was his brother that did all the all the amazing things well andrew was a very significant character that brought the one that jesus would build his church on And this is something i want you to hear there are no insignificant characters in God's story. There are, there are no small roles. Not dinner roles because everybody's thinking about Thanksgiving food, but, but there are no small parts. Every part is a significant part. God wants to use every single person in his kingdom to play a significant role. And while your role may not be to be a Peter, when we live in a world that celebrates guys like Peter, what we desperately need are more and more Andrews, people that, people that bring people, that, that play the supporting role, and, and maybe you can get put up for it, best supporting actor or actress, but we need Andrews. And it's interesting as you dig into their, into their history, into their ministry after Jesus resurrected, Peter's primary ministry would be to the Jews, even though he would end up in Rome. He still spent the majority of his time in a, in a Jewish world with ministering to the Jews. But Andrew's ministry was to the Greeks in places like Kiev, according to church history. So Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. He, he brought Peter to meet Jesus, to meet the Messiah. But after the resurrection, Andrew brought Jesus to the people. Andrew took what he had received in this gift of this resurrected, this new gift of life. And, and he, just like the other apostles, he took what he had received and, and he brought Jesus to others. So it wasn't just so much that Andrew brought Peter to Jesus, but that Jesus was taken to people by Andrew. I want to go and look at 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to be spending more time here in the, in the weeks and months to come, but I want to read through just this set of verses and, and kind of look at this letter that the Apostle Peter wrote towards the end of his life, towards the end of his ministry to a church, and there's a very significant theme here that I want us to dwell on for our time this morning. Therefore, 1 Peter 2 verse 1, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the lord is good verse 4 as you come to him the living stone jesus is the living stone as you come to him the living stone it's an interesting phrase the living stone not just a stone that kind of sits and does nothing but but the living stone quite a picture As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, which we just sang about. The cornerstone being Jesus, the cornerstone, the one that, that determines everything, the, the, the true cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe, the stone is precious. So to those of us who believe this morning the stone is a precious, the precious cornerstone is precious because our whole lives are built on the foundation of this cornerstone. Everything depends and hinges on this cornerstone. So it's a precious stone to us. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that caused people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobeyed the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful life. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, as people who do not belong where they are, but you're there, as as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. This verse, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us i am god's delegate authorized to bring jesus to people i am this is this is true of everyone in here who is in christ i am this is a true statement about you i am god's delegate authorized to bring jesus to people Well, what do I mean by that? What does it mean to be a delegate? I'm glad you asked. Thanks for asking that really intelligent question. It it, it means this, that a a delegate is the agent that God has chosen to reach your world. And that means you are the agent God has chosen. Remember, it says that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, chosen by God and precious to him. That you are chosen by God to reach your world where you are. And not only are you chosen by God, but God has given you, every single believer, every single person in this room, the authority to be to act as his delegate. A delegate is a person authorized to act as a representative for another, a deputy, a person sent or authorized to represent others. We understand this word because we use the word delegate all the time, which is the verb form to delegate means to entrust to another person a task or responsibility, typically one who is less senior than oneself. So so we have been God has entrusted us with this responsibility of being his representative God has entrusted us with the responsibility of being his representative into the world that is lost. We are his delegates and we have been given authority to act as his delegates. There's a whole great big picture to this that that I really can't get into, but if you will watch the Tuesday night Bible study, and you can watch last week where Corby's talking about kingdom and covenant, and this last week in particular, he covered this, and and he's going to be digging into this more. But go watch that study on on our Facebook page where he's talking about this, and you'll understand more where this is coming from. But we have been given the authority to be God's delegates. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. We just read it. Live such good lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Live such good lives among the pagans. Well, what are the pagans? I know that kind of can sound like a negative word, has a negative connotation, especially in our current context. So we don't have to use the word pagans, but but it kind of refers to people who don't believe, who, who don't ascribe to, to the religious traditions, the, the, the dominant religious traditions of any culture or society. In our case, it would be just anyone who does not believe in Jesus as the Messiah. And, and Peter's saying, live such good lives among those who do not believe the truth that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. We need to live such transformative lives, lives that don't blend in, lives that are not caught up in in the world that we're surrounded by, that is waging war against our soul. We need to live transformative lives that, that don't blend in, but that stand out, that stand out to the point that even the accusation of wrongdoing would be absurd to those who know us. We need to live such good lives that though they accuse us, they glorify God on the day he visits. Maybe some of us are are, are in this category where we need to ask God to, to take the if out of our belief. We need to ask God to take the if out of our belief. And we need to become these living stones that that Peter talks about here, who 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 we can remember and we can actually celebrate the story because Andrew brought Peter to Jesus and now because Andrew brought Peter to Jesus we have we have this letter from Peter because he was one of God's chosen we need to become like he says living stones built on the foundation of the precious cornerstone, Jesus Christ himself, and and becoming these living stones built on the foundation of that cornerstone, Jesus Christ, then we are the dwelling place of God himself. There's other pictures to this, and I don't have time to get into it in any detail or depth this morning, but, but do you understand that there's something really special about when we gather together? In a context like we gathered together this morning, there's something really special and unique that, that when we come together, this all these living stones. So every single one of you here in Christ, you are a living stone. That means you are part of the temple that is being built for God's presence to dwell in. So yes, God dwells in the hearts of all who believe, but there's something unique, there's something special when, when God's people come together and, and gather together and God's presence is there in the temple that God is building out of living stones. It's amazing what, what, what we get to be a part of every single week. We really, really ought not take it for granted. We are authorized to be God's delegates. But what happens if we decide not to live as delegates? What happens if we just decide I, I I'm not gonna do it that way I'm gonna do I'm gonna do it my way and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna try to blend in and not not stir up too much trouble. I think if we do that we miss out on the significant opportunity to be somebody's Andrew. Somebody just texted in on the day he visits is that the return of Christ? Yes, that'll be the day when Christ returns. The hope is that that through your life, through your life, the life you live among those who don't believe, that they will be able to believe in Christ, that they may glorify him out of choice rather than force on the day that he returns. But if we don't live as delegates, then I think we miss this opportunity to be somebody's Andrew. Andrew. And you know what I know based on my experience this week? Now I know it more than ever is that, that the world around us is starving and desperate for meaning. That our world is caught up in this lie that believes that, that that meaning is is defined on what I believe and what I decide and what I think about myself. And that all of my meaning is wrapped up in my own identity and who I say I am. This is what means the most in our world because we have been absorbed in ourselves as desperate. We are dehydrated. We are the Sahara Desert when it comes to meaning. Our world needs to know what they were really created for. Our world is, our world is desperate for meaning, and, and it's interesting because you know, we talk about how, how, uh, how Christians are perceived as arrogant and, 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 and talking down to people for wanting to share their faith. That was the biggest theme that I saw in the comments that were made, is, is the arrogance and the talking down to me for believing what he did was a brave and courageous thing. Our world has believed a lie and bought it hook, line, and sinker, and they're starving and desperate for meaning. Our world isn't just starving and desperate for meaning, but our world is starved for true community. And I know that there are even some here in our midst today that are starving for true community, and what the, what the church has to offer is true meaning and true community, eternal life-giving community. This is, this is what we have here as a part of this family of Christ. And the world all around us is in pain. The world around us is, is desperate for something to change, desperate for some kind of hope, desperate for something to grab onto that doesn't look like everything else that has always happened in the history of humanity. When humanity has tried to solve its own problem, the world is in pain. And, and what we have to offer isn't just a temporary solution to try to numb the pain, but we actually have the solution to bring peace to answer the pain. The solution is, is friendship with Jesus, friendship with the Father, relationship with God himself, that, that because of what Jesus did, now we can have peace with God, and we're no longer waging war with God because of our own selfishness and our own, our own personal desires and our, and our own decisions on what's right and what's wrong. We're no longer at war with God, but because of Jesus, we have peace with God. And now we can be in relationship with him. Our world is desperate for meaning. And if we don't give it to them, who will? I was thinking about this this morning as I was driving in. If we don't give it to them, who will? That song we sang earlier resurrecting you know the the resurrected king is resurrecting me and and scripture talks about us getting this new spirit how he causes a new spirit to live in us and and we if we've put our faith in jesus christ and we've had that experience of being buried with him through baptism and brought resurrected to new life in christ if we've experienced that death and resurrection, and now our spirits have been brought to life, we have actually been resurrected in our spirit and our heart. We have received this gift of new life. If, if that is true, if we want to talk about if, if that is true, if we really believe that, if that, if that is really what has changed us in our heart and in our soul, and we have the solution for all of the world's pain, and for all of the world's hurt, and for all of the death that is going on around us day in and day out, and all of what you've On all of those Facebook posts, we have the answer to bring their death back to life. If we really believe we have been resurrected and we refuse to take it to them and offer them their peace, what does that say about our belief? If we won't, who will? We are God's delegates to bring Jesus to the people. And I have to ask, is God gonna work through you? Or will he have to work around you? Are we gonna let God work through us or are we gonna make him work around us? This kingdom life that we live is incredible. Sitting here in this room, we're all literally connected by the same spirit that unites us, that joins us, that brings us all together. We are all literally united in Christ here at this moment by the one very same spirit that is dwelling in the hearts of all who believe in this entire county and this entire state and in the entire Northwest. We are all in the same spirit. We are unified, perfectly unified with all who believe. And when you understand that, when you understand that it is the same Spirit that is at work in us, that that is is at work in all who believe, and that God has has made us His delegates, every single one of us His delegates, then then what God wants to do is through you and through me and through all who believe throughout all of Clark County, what, what He wants to do is use us to to plant seeds of hope, to plant seeds of life change and transformation all around us in the world around us that that they might see and they may start to get a picture that there is something really to this Jesus thing. And and God wants to work through every single one of us to plant these little seeds, to just drop these little ideas that that there is something more, there is meaning that you can experience, that, that you aren't just desperate for something to happen in this life, but there's so much more if you will just... Believe, and and he wants to use every single one of us to drop these little seeds, to plant these seeds that there is more. But is God going to work through you, or is He going to work around you? See, I'm not talking about cramming Jesus down anybody's throat. I'm not. I'm not talking about standing on the street corner and waving signs and using megaphones to you know supposedly preach the gospel i'm not talking about getting on facebook and condemning people for living the lives that they believe because they have been sold a lie and they just believe it what we should feel for them is sympathy and compassion just like we ought to feel sympathy and compassion for those who claim to believe in christ but refuse to move So I'm not talking about that old school kind of evangelism that so many of us are familiar with. That's not what I have in mind at all. I'm talking about, well, it's Micah 6.8. I'm talking about living such good lives in front of the pagans that we live lives of hope. I'm not talking about compromising our beliefs. Don't hear me say that. I'm not talking about all of the ifs that we might talk about or we might feel. I'm not talking about that because truth is we have been tossed back and forth by the waves. The truth is that that we've been out on that ocean, on that boat, like Alex did such a great job talking about last week, and we have felt the effects of the storm, and we have seen the waves come crashing over the boat, and we have wondered... I'm not talking about a presentation of perfection that we think we have everything figured out. It's not about spreading or forcing religion someone just texted in. It's about giving people Jesus. Living such good lives in front of the pagans, lives of hope. Actually showing the evidence that our lives have been transformed. One opportunity is through pain and frustration. Our culture goes to great lengths to avoid pain of any kind. We don't like to hurt. If something causes me emotional, physical, or spiritual pain, that's bad, and I need to do something to numb it. But what if we as Christians, when we are experiencing pain, we walked through pain in a different way? That we, that we didn't walk through pain as those who don't have any hope and our only way to respond to the pain is to try to numb it a little bit with different agents that are abundant in our culture. But what if we what if we didn't try to numb the pain, but that we actually that we actually walked through the pain with the hope that God has given us? What if we lived as the people that had the greatest hope? What if we, what if we lived as people here on, on, on the planet and here in the Northwest as, as though we had the greatest hope Of all, That that we aren't shrinking back and we aren't circling the wagons and we aren't afraid of what our faith is going to cost us, but that we have the greatest hope and that right now might be the precipice of something God is going to do and move in our people and that that if we just would just take that one little step of faith and just take that step out into what God has called us to, we might be able to be a part of what God is wanting to do and drawing people into his community. What if we actually let Christ's love transform us? And what if, what if we weren't afraid to talk about why we were being transformed, but we, we were just talking about why we're, why we're different? You know, God is, God is literally actively changing us as his, as his children here in this church, he, he's transforming us, our lives. And what if we just, we just said, the reason we're being transformed is because of Jesus. I'm not talking about cramming something down someone's throat. I'm just saying talking about why we're different. So I think we need to live such good lives in front of the pagans that they see our good deeds, our faith, and action. and They want to believe. I have one more suggestion for you. We're just about done it's listening. So the first one is living, living such good lives in front of the pagans. The second one is listening, listening for some key phrases that I think might actually help us to be able to be there for people, to walk with them in their pain, which is what mercy is. To, to walk with someone in their pain, to, to show compassion, to show mercy. We, we actually walk with people in their pain. And, and if we're listening for some of these phrases, these, these key opportunities where people are actually experiencing pain and suffering in their life, then we might be able to come alongside them and be Jesus to them in their pain. So when the unbelievers around us say things like, I'm afraid. I'm I'm afraid that that this is going to happen. I'm I'm afraid I'm going to lose my job. I'm I'm afraid I'm going to lose my house. I'm afraid I'm going to lose my spouse. I'm I'm afraid about this thing or that thing. And and we actually didn't just offer a platitude, but we actually stepped into their pain with them and said, you know what? I don't have all the answers, but I'll walk with you in it. If somebody says I'm worried, you know, I'm i just I just I'm just worried about. I don't know. There's just so much to be worried about. There's so much that's going wrong in the world. Everything seems to be kind of just ready to explode. I'm just worried, or I- I'm struggling. I'm struggling with this. I'm. I'm just really just. I'm just barely hanging on. I- I- I'm. I'm not sure I can do this. Or I wish. I. Man. I-, I-, I wish this would happen. Or I wish this would take place or this would change or I wish I I can't believe one of the great opportunities I think we have is to show hope in the midst of great tragedies and when someone says I can't believe that that happened we can say you know what that's awful that's horrible let's 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 talk about that let's walk through that together Someone says, I'm lonely. We have a lot, a lot, a lot of lonely people in our world. If someone says, I'm lonely, what if we just offer to be a friend? Or when someone's so desperate that they say, what's the point of any of it? What's the point of it all? What does Peter say here in uh, chapter 3 of this same letter? He says, to be ready... To give the reason for the hope that we have, if we live these lives among those who don't believe, so that so that we live with hope and we have hope, then then we need to be ready to give a reason for the hope that we have, and when we do it with gentleness and respect, which is what he says, we we give our reasons for hope with gentleness and respect, not in a way though that, that we're that we're judging people or putting people down, but we're just saying this is the reason we have hope in this situation. Why? Because When we do it this way, those that would speak maliciously against our good behavior would be ashamed of their slander. That's what it says. So we just need to learn to listen and and be willing to show compassion and walk with people in their pain. So living such good lives in front of those who don't believe, listening, and then lastly, loving others like Christ loved us. Loving others like Christ loved us. Christ loved us by... Going to a cruel, horrible, painful death on our behalf. What if that was the love that we showed to those who don't believe? Not the love they're expecting, but the love that they expect the least, where we are willing to lay down our lives for them. I think this is how we live such good lives among those who don't believe that they would ask us about our hope I'm going to ask the band to come and just as we close I want to ask you if you will to just maybe imagine with me instead of finding the if in our belief imagine if we lived our lives this way what if, what if we lived our lives? What if we were actually so transformed by the incredible love of God that the people couldn't help but notice how different we were? What, what if we weren't afraid of those who could only threaten our temporary bodies, but we were willing to risk our temporary life so that we could save their eternal soul? What if we lived our lives with such boldness and confidence that what we believe is actually so true we cannot keep our mouths shut about it. We actually have to say something. We actually have to express something because it has brought us to life and we wanted to bring other people to life. What if we lived our lives like that? So what I'm praying and I'm hoping for us as a church and for the church at large is that we move from this ideological faith, and there's nothing wrong with ideology, but we need to move from this ideological faith to practical, hands-on faith. We need to move what some would say from informational to incarnational. We need to stop trying to give people the information about Jesus and actually live the life of Jesus in their midst. And we need to stop being conformative and start living transformative. We need to stop conforming so much to the world around us and start living lives that have been transformed by the gospel, that have been transformed by God's love, and that that cannot help but live a different way. Is God going to work through you or is he going to work around you? We can't wait for someone else to do what God put us here to do. We can't miss out on our opportunity to be somebody's Andrew. We're the ones that have to do it. That's why God put us here. Someone said, what if we don't have all the answers, but we have his love? I missed the rest of it, but I don't think we have to have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. I don't know if you know that. I don't know everything. When I'm talking to people who are walking through pain, I don't have all the answers for their pain. I can probably come up with one, but I don't have all the answers, and I don't think having the answers is what's going to help them anyway. I think what they need is love. What they need is for us to become what Jesus became, which is why this is such an important season. Christmas isn't just the time when we talk about Santa Claus and giving presents and putting up Christmas trees and lights and decorations, but we actually stop and realize that God became flesh. God put on flesh. That's called the incarnation. He became one of us. He became for us what we could not do for ourselves, and now we have this opportunity to go and be for someone else what they cannot do for themselves in the hopes that they might be drawn into the resurrected life. But like this song that we sang, that out of the ashes, the, the, the destruction and the, the devastation of their life, the heap that their life might be in at the moment, out of that god will bring new life that's what we need to be that's that's who we need to be as his priests his delegates his people who have been given the authority to go and represent him to an unbelieving world let's stand together heavenly father we thank you that you did not leave us in the state that we were in before you sent your son. But that you sent an answer. You sent a way out. You sent someone to walk amongst us. That you sent someone to be God with us. That, that God literally walked among the people. We thank you that, that you that you did something so unheard of and so amazing that you sent your son to be born as a baby. Uh, that, that he came in a humble state when he should have been exalted to the highest place, that he came in a humble state, and yet you give us such an example in that, that you want us to follow in that same path, that, that we would follow in the path of humility. Not that we speak down and condemn and put down those who don't agree and those who don't believe, but that you just give us this opportunity to walk humbly with our God in the presence of those who don't believe. Father, I pray that you would give us courage, that you would embolden our faith this morning, that, that where we feel like we just, we just can't step into this area or into that group or into this situation and be a bold representative, a bold delegate of the faith of Jesus Christ that we believe and has transformed us li- our lives, that those areas where we feel like we just can't do it, where we don't have the courage, that you give us the resurrected courage to be able to do that, this new life courage that doesn't depend on our strength, that doesn't depend on our ability, but that draws its strength from the almighty, most holy God that dwells in us. And Father, use us to be somebody's Andrew. Bring those people to mind, bring those people to heart, put a burden on us for those in our lives that need us to bring Jesus to them, that need to be brought to Jesus. Father, put them on our hearts in such a fashion, such a way that we cannot rest until you have led us into their presence, that we might be able to be for them what you were for us. In Jesus' name.